Man, thank you for responding in worship, and even more so, I appreciate walking around the corner before service, and I heard a roar. I didn't know if it was a video. I didn't know what was going on, but I could hear a roar, and what it was was students gathered in the prayer room calling out to God. That's what we got to have. Come on, there's no substitute for it. There's no other way around it. Amen. You can make your way back to your seats. I honor all of you for being here. So thankful for what I feel. Thank you to the worship team for the anointing worship. If you have your Bibles, I'll be reading from 2 Kings chapter 4, verse number 1. 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse number 1. Before I get into the word, I do want to take a couple of moments and give honor to where it's due. I want to give honor to the Truth Church of Denison, Texas for opening up their doors and welcoming all of us. Can we give it up for this entire church? I know we typically direct the accolades to the people we can see, pastor, the worship team, and rightfully so. But I'm, I can tell you that Pastor Gilbert would tell you it took a lot of people to get ready for something like this. And so to everybody who tirely, tirelessly served, labored, cleaned up, got everything ready, we say thank you. Thank you. Amen. That's okay. Thank you. To the media team, security team, everybody that makes it happen. But I give honor to Pastor and Sister Gilbert. I love and appreciate this family so much. Thank you for your burden. Amen. This is not just something to fill the calendar, but you can feel the destiny that's in the room. Because this conference, this meeting has come from a place of a burden and a prayer meeting. And I give honor to Pastor Darren. Thank you so much for the honor to be here. Amen. And to all of the ministry that is here, I give you honor. It is such an honor for me to be here. I give honor to everyone that's going to be ministering this week. You're going to be blessed by so many apostolic preachers. And I am honored to be a small part. I give honor to my amazing wife. Thank God for a godly wife. Give honor to my nine-month-old son. I love him so much, Oliver. Amen. Young guys, if you want to serve God, after your decision to serve God, your second most important decision is to make sure you marry the type of young lady who wants to serve God. And so if you're a young lady and you want to serve God, your second most important decision after that decision is to marry a young man who wants to serve God. Because two cannot walk together except they be agreed. And I'm thankful that God has blessed me with an amazing wife. And I give honor to my pastor. I know he'll probably never hear this, but I honor my pastor, Pastor Travis Houston. Amen. I'm a product of a merciful God and a loving pastor. And I honor him. I thank God for him and his family. 2 Kings chapter 4. Feels such a burden in my spirit. I believe the Holy Ghost has spoken to me. I don't know where this is going to go. This isn't my typical process of I guess getting ready for a service but the Lord began to deal with me Sunday morning and so I'm just trying to be obedient to what I feel so I'm just going to do what I feel God is telling me to do and then let God do what he wants to do amen, amen. are you thankful to be at TCYC Woo. amen <laughs> honor all of you young people you don't have to be here you chose to be here so give yourselves a hand amen it's Tuesday night. You can be anywhere but you're in the house of God. Aren't you thankful to be in the house of the Lord tonight? 
Come on, bump somebody next to you and say, it's good to see you. There you go. Wake them up. Make sure they don't doze off. Amen. Amen. Second Kings chapter 4. One last thing I do want to publicly say. I never thought I would get the chance to do this. Uh, but I just, I've always wanted to publicly uh, voice how appreciative I am for Brother Cody Marks. When I was a new convert, I spent many, many nights alone in a bedroom listening to his preaching via CDs and online. If there's a message online that he preached, I probably have heard it. Uh, I do my best not to preach it, but it, it has impacted my life. So I honor you and your family. Amen. And I just, I've always wanted to tell you that. I never dreamed that I'd be able to uh, be preaching with him. But there's no one that's impacted me from afar the way he has. So I honor you, sir. Thank you for your ministry. 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophet unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that my husband, your servant, did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take unto him my sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said to her, What do you want me to do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she said, Thine handmaid had not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go borrow thee vessels abroad of all of thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. So at first he's generic. He says, Go borrow some vessels. And then he gets specific with what kind. Borrow empty vessels. And how many? Not a few. And he said, When you come in, you shall shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons and you shall pour out into all those vessels and thou shalt set aside that which is full so she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured out and it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son bring me yet a vessel and he said to her there is not a vessel more and the oil stayed I'm going to read that last verse in the New International Version. I believe it brings a little bit of clarity. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There is not a jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. Verse number six. Her request to the next generation was simple. Bring me yet a vessel so on this first night I want to preach from that text verse number 6 bring me yet a vessel amen I so appreciate all of these students right here who brought their Bibles it's, and, and everybody I see it's kind of getting a little more foreign to see Bibles in church you, you should bring your Bible to church and I honor all of you for bringing your Bible to church tonight amen somebody say bring me yet a vessel one more time before you see it would you lift your hands and just ask that God would speak to us God, in the name of Jesus, I trust you. God, I believe that I've heard your voice. Now I pray tonight that the Holy Ghost would do what you want to do, God. This is not about me. This is not about anyone else. This is about you. So Jesus, I'm asking you right now to have your perfect way in this room. I take authority over the opposition that will try to oppose what the Spirit is speaking. I pray the angels of the Lord would be in this room now to minister to this generation. 
God, these group of students are hungry for you. And I pray that you would respond to the hunger that is imminent in this room tonight. And we speak it all in the name of Jesus. And if you believe it, I want you to shout in Jesus' name. Come on, if you understand the power of that name, would you shout it again in Jesus' name? Amen. One more time, lift your voice before you're seated and let's give God praise ahead of time. Hallelujah. Would you lift your voice a little louder? Come on, let there be a roar that would ascend from this place to heaven to let God know we want you to move tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody shout yes. yes. Amen. Have five, two or three people, and you may be seated. Have you ever noticed when you're reading the Bible? There are parts you enjoy, and then there are just some parts you just endure. You got to be honest right now. Our youth group right now is doing the Bible in six months. We had young people in our youth group that have never read the entire Bible, so I asked them, how can you say you believe a Bible if you don't know what all is in there? And so we are on a journey. We got about 28 days left. Not everybody has made it this far, but a good, a good portion, but... I remember when we were in the book of First Chronicles, they were texting me. Brother Drew, oh my goodness, this is not easy to read. I said, just hold on, it gets better. First Chronicles is one of those books that you probably just don't enjoy reading. But it is the inspired word of God, so irrespective of how enjoyable it is, we read it anyway. I understand that there are some places during the Bible you read it slowly and you're... You're soaking up every word. It's interesting. It's impacting. And then sometimes we just kind of speed read because you're too convicted to skip it. So you just, just breeze right through it because you want to be able to say you read it, but you're not really interested that much in reading it. First Chronicles chapter 27 is one of the chapters, if you've read through the Bible, that you probably sped right through. It goes through and it's listing these captains and their duty in the kingdom and you probably read it like the fourth captain in the fourth month. I say, oh, the brother job. Okay, and you check that off on your Bible plan. But in verse number 28, if you're not careful, you're speeding through there, and it seems insignificant. You come upon a verse, First Chronicles chapter 27 and verse number 28. And it says in the latter part of that verse that over the sellers of the oil was Joash. Joash, we got some good news. God has a plan for your life. God wants to use you. And I'm sure Joash was ready. Yes, I've been waiting on this moment. I knew God was going to use me. God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to preach? Where do you want me to go? And he finds out that God says, no, you're not going to be out in front of everybody, but you're still going to be necessary. He said, Joash, I'm going to put you in the dark, damp, isolated cellars where the oil is. And I know not a lot of people want this job, Joash, but you have to understand. One translation says it like this. You're going to guard the treasures of the oil. And it's not an enviable position. Nobody wants to be there. It's, it's dark. It's lonely. It's isolated. It's damp. And 
There's rats walking through that cellar that you got to keep out of the oil because, Joaz, this oil is important. It's sacred. It's holy. And you got to check it every now and again to make sure that there's no crack in the lid, Joaz, because if any fly gets in the oil, it will call a seeking saver. So, Joaz, I know you're never going to stand on the platform, and I know there's never going to be anybody talking about you, but you have a job. You have to protect What's valuable and what's valuable is the oil. In Jewish society, this oil was very important. It was used for religious needs. It was used for the lamps in the tabernacle. It was used for merchandise. It was used for medicine. But more than anything, it was used to anoint what was supposed to be holy. Woven throughout the fabric of the Old Testament is this amazing importance of this oil. That Joash was tasked with keeping. It's first mentioned in Genesis 28 when Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he put for his pillows and he set it for a pillar and to make sure that he knew that this was a special place. He poured oil on top of it. Now, it may seem pointless to pour oil on an inanimate object, but not to Jacob because that location was significant. It needed to be anointed with the oil because the presence of the oil brought value to the location. This oil symbolized importance and it symbolized that something was sacred. It symbolized that something was holy. Exodus 29 epitomizes the essential nature and purpose of the oil in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 30, we learn about the recipe for the oil. And God was very specific when he began to give instruction of how the oil was supposed to be made. He was very specific with how much of each ingredient that it needed. God was, was uh, appeared to be very, very concerned with the oil. He wanted those high priests to know it's important what goes into the making of the oil. You have to put 500 shekels of myrrh. There's going to be cinnamon and there's going to be calamus and there's going to be castor. And he said, I don't just want you to be random. Every time that you make the oil, you have to follow this pattern. And when you make the oil, you need to understand, not everybody gets this oil. And it cannot go in the flesh of man because this oil is valuable. This oil is sacred. This oil is anointed and this oil is holy. And so what seems insignificant to everybody else it's not insignificant to God. He wanted them to know it's special. It's valuable. It should be reverenced. It should be appreciated. And in Exodus chapter 29 and verse number 7, he gives them instruction when he said, you need to take the anointing oil and pour it upon the heads of the high priest. And he is to be anointed therewith. The high priest was anointed with the anointing oil. And it was not just a ritual, but it was so he would know and everybody else would know this. This man has been set apart. There's consecration that comes with the oil. The oil was to empower him to be what God has called him to be. The oil was valuable. It was sacred. It was holy. I'm not simply repeating myself because I don't have anything else to say, but I'm trying to repeat this for emphasis. The oil was holy and it should be referenced. There should be a sense of appreciation for the oil. 
Almost always in scripture the oil was synonymous with the anointing. It served as a present symbol of anointing but also a prophetic sign of what was to come when it was time for David to be the king. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 16 and 13 that the prophet Samuel he took the horn of oil and he anointed David in the midst of his brethren. Now I love that they put that in there because it was his brethren that did not believe in him but God said I'll anoint you right in front of the people that didn't think you were worthy of this anointing why because God doesn't need anybody else's permission to anoint you that's why you should never seek the validation of man but everything you should say I want to please God and the Bible says when that anointing came on David the spirit of the Lord came upon him from that day forward and it's hard for me to talk about the oil without getting emotional because more than anything I want it in my life the Old Testament practice was literal to them but it pointed to something greater that would soon come to God's people because you see the oil would make a transition from the exterior to the interior it would move from being something you feel to being something you were filled with the Hebrew word for anointing is Messiah which is translated to the Greek word Messiah or Christos which is why it's no coincidence that in the New Testament Jesus is mentioned 983 times and 540 46 times or 56% of the time he is called Jesus Christ because the meaning of Christ is drawn from the Old Testament God promised the ancient Israelites that a Messiah was going to come and he would deliver them from their sin and the idea of the Messiah is carried over into the New Testament with the title Christ the Greek word Christos which from we get the English word Christ is the translation of the Hebrew word Meshach which is where we get our English word Messiah and that Hebrew word is what they use to describe the anointing oil. And so when the Bible calls him Jesus Christ, Christ is not the last name of Jesus. Christ is his supreme title to let everybody know this is he. This is who the prophet spoke about. This is who we've been waiting for. The anointed one is here. He's here. He's here. That's why when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Peter, with revelation from God, said, oh, I know who you are. You're Christ, the son of the living God. You're the anointed one. You're the oil manifested in the flesh. You are what we've been looking for. You are what we've been waiting for. You have to understand, Jesus was not just a great teacher. He was not just a prophet. No, he was the oil in the flesh. I'm talking about greater than David, greater than Moses, greater than Aaron. Somebody shout Jesus. So Jesus, he steps on the scene and he is 
the anointed one. That's what Christ means. He was the fulfillment of the oil. It was them knowing he is the true high priest. That the oil and flesh is here. That's why Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. He steps up and he grabs the word. And he starts quoting from Isaiah chapter 61 and Luke chapter 4. And this is what he said. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because I'm anointed. Because I'm the anointed one. I'm what you've been waiting on. I'm what you've been looking for. So he goes through there and he said, but I want you to understand this anointing has a purpose. It's to preach the gospel to the poor, to preach healing to the brokenhearted, deliverance to the captives. It gives recovering of sight to the blind and it sets at liberty all them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And the Bible said he closed the book. He gave it to the minister and sat down and he said, this day the scripture is fulfilled. The one Isaiah began to write about stood up in Luke chapter 4 and said, that's me. I am the anointed one. Somebody shout the oil. oil. So the oil is here. The word for gospel is you angelon. I'm from Bogalusa. We don't speak Greek, but I do my best. It means good news. And I have a friend who's a lot smarter than me who's in school studying Greek and Hebrew. He's a scholar. I'm not. So I text him. I want to be sure. He said the reason they use this word, gospel, this Greek word is because in ancient Israel, when a new king was anointed, he would lose debts and have new social protocols that would win the favor of the kingdom. And there would be runners that would go and tell the good news that we've got a better king who had the people's best interests in mind. And Jesus was letting them know, I am that king. I am that anointed one. I've come to loose the shackles. I've come to give people freedom that's been bound. I don't know about you, but it's not cliche. There's nobody like Jesus. I said, there's nobody like Jesus. That's why you gotta be baptized in Jesus' name because it's that name that is anointed. Somebody lift your hands. Don't ever take the revelation of the name of Jesus for granted. Be seated. And so this anointed Messiah showed up everywhere he went, spreading the good news. Freedom is here. Salvation has come. And he left the oily trail everywhere he went because he was the embodiment of the anointing oil. That's why the book of Acts puts it like this in chapter 10. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. And everywhere he went, he went about doing good and healing them that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. The disciples knew this oil set Jesus apart. There had never been anyone like him. But Jesus would repeatedly tell them, if you think having me with you is good, wait until I am in you. Jesus told them, it's one thing to be next to the oil, but it's another thing to be filled with the oil. So Jesus reminded them 
over and over. I gotta go, but I want you to know I'm with you, but I'm gonna be in you. That's why he was reiterating that in John chapter 14. You see, the disciples were like us. They were a little slow. They weren't getting it. So Jesus had to repeat them things over and over and over. That's why Philip can be standing with Jesus right after he teaches about Jesus being the father. And said, Philip said, Jesus, who is the father? And Jesus said, oh, Philip. Have I not been so long with you? When you see me, you see the Father. Jesus got to make it plain for some of us. I know he has to make it plain for me. But in John chapter 14, he were telling him over and over. He said, the spirit of truth. He said, it is with you. He said, but it's going to be in you. He said, I know you don't want me to leave, but there's coming something called a comforter. And right now I'm with you, but I'm going to be in you because he, he made it very clear. What is the comforter? The comforter is the Holy Ghost. That is the spirit of Jesus Christ. And so he was telling him, I know you like the oil being beside you. I know you like to walk with the oil, but there's coming another transition where it's going to go from being beside you to being inside of you and when that happens that's how you get to John 14 and 12 when he said greater words shall you do because I go to my father and so he was saying the oil is going to make a transition from the outside to the inside. It will be more than just with you. It will be in you. And Joel put pen to paper when he began to prophesy about the oil being poured out. But he said it's going to be different than when it was poured out for Aaron and David. For this oil is greater when he said, and it shall come to pass in the last days that God's going to start pouring God's going to start pouring something out. But this time it's not going to be something that we can concoct with our human hands. No, it's going to be the spirit of almighty God. And it's going to be poured out on all flesh. Does anybody still believe the Holy Ghost is for anybody? And so... Job prophesied there's going to be a pouring and the day of Pentecost was the fulfillment of this prophetic pouring when the Bible says and when the day of Pentecost was fully come they were all in one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as if a rushing mighty wind but something happened it went from being on the outside to the inside because the Bible says they were filled they were filled they were filled with the oil so much so much that it started affecting the way they were acting and when they stumbled outside the people were looking at them and they said oh they have to be drunk and they say no 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 we're not drunk this is just the oil we've received the oil and they said well what is this and they said well this is that this is what's been prophesied this is what we've been waiting for this is the moment where it makes a transition from being with us to in us. And they said, well, how? How do we get it? And Peter said, well, that's easy. You have to repent. And you have to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. And you shall. You're going to receive the oil. You'll receive the Holy Ghost. So when the oil began to flow, people were filled. 
It started with 120 people who postured themselves in prayer and positioned themselves to be filled. And it overflowed and they began to speak in other tongues and the onlookers were amazed that now the oil was living on the inside of normal broken people and on that day the church was born and they were fueled with the oil and before the day was finished over 3,000 people had received the gift of the Holy Ghost so I've come to preach to this amazing group of students we cannot get away from the oil I said there's no substitute for the Holy Ghost There's no plan B. I said the hope for the world is the oil. Come on, lift your hands. That's why Paul told us in 2 Corinthians 4 that we have this treasure. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. When he wrote that, he was going back to ancient times in the east and they would use these little containers. They weren't worth much and it would transport the oil and when it would get to its location, they would take that small container and they would pour it into a big container of oil and they would cast the container aside because the value was not in the container. The value was in the contents. That's why we must never get self-righteous to say, oh, I got the Holy Ghost. The only thing good in me is him and the only way I'm here is God has been so merciful I don't deserve the oil but I'm grateful for the oil what separates us is what we preach and what we possess we preach the truth and we possess the oil because true worshipers will always have spirit and truth and for the first 19 years of my life from the marks I live without the oil I remember Pastor Darren I was about 13 years old and we're playing backyard football and I didn't know anything about the Bible I can count on one hand how many times my family took me to church in the first 15 or 16 years of my life I knew nothing about the Bible I was just smart enough to know that surely there's a God and we're outside playing football and it got real real dark and that thunder started clapping and I was like oh this seems like the kind of day that the Lord may come back. I turned to my friend Corey. I said, Corey, I don't know, man. I don't know anything about God coming back, but I feel like today might be the day. It looks kind of scary out here. So Corey told me. He said, well, my dad's a pastor. I said, well, let's go talk to him. You hear me? I was sincere. I knew nothing about God. I just knew I wanted to know him. And so Corey took me to his dad. His dad was a pastor of a denominal church in our city. And I went to this minister. And I said, I don't know. I just want to be right with God. And he said, oh, all you have to do is accept the Lord as your personal Savior. So I looked at him in my naive state of mind I said that's it he said that's it I'm like bro I'm a thug I feel like there should be a little more for people like me than just one prayer of acceptance I got a lot of dirt needs to be cleaned up he said oh no that's it I said okay I accept the Lord's not personal savior I said so I'm good he said you're good now if you want to be baptized you can Sunday I said yeah bro you don't understand. I'm not a good person. I want everything. He said, well, come to the church Sunday. My family didn't even go 
willing to get to watch me because church just wasn't important to them or to me. So I went to the church. I brought my clothes and I got in the water. And I was like, okay, here we go. This is my moment. And he says, I now baptize you. And again, I'm not being mean. I'm not putting down on anybody. This is just what happened to me when I was 13 years old. He said, I baptize you in the titles, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I went down, came out of the water. And everything in me, Pastor Darren, wanted to be different. But I wasn't. And so I thought, well, man. If that's all there is, then that's all there is. And so I was 13. And so I just went on living my life, trying to be different, but I wasn't. But when I was 19, it was July the 4th, 2010. I walked in the First Pentecostal Church in Bogalusa, Louisiana. I sat toward the back. I had so many scars and so much baggage and so, so much sin in my life. But they sang the worship, and I knew something was different. And the pastor, Travis Houston, got up and preached, and I knew something was different. And when he gave the altar call, I said, well having to go up to the front and went up to the right side and I lifted my hands and I repented of my sins the way they told me to do it and all of a sudden I began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave me utterance and did it hit me I found what I've been looking for because in that day I found the oil and that day I realized the oil is better than drugs the oil was better than alcohol the oil was better than immorality I'm telling you the Holy Ghost is the answer The Holy Ghost is the answer. The answer is not a better politician. The answer is not a pre-COVID-19 lifestyle. That's never coming back. You know what the answer is? Some young people that have the oil that can go to their friends and say, I got what you need. And it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Somebody shout the oil. That's why I'm passionate about this. I didn't come to this conference and just try to preach some great revelation because I don't have any messages like that anyway. But I do have a word from the Lord. The oil is what you need. It's what your family needs. It's what your friends need. You don't have to complicate it. You already have it. I said you already have it. It's the oil. Somebody shout the oil. What this world needs is students that understand what they possess and are passionate enough about it to share it. But what concerns me is not that we don't know that the oil is powerful. I believe we know that it's valuable. We know the oil is essential. But what I'm afraid of is we reduce the oil to something we experience at an altar one time and that's it. I've heard people criticize Christianity because they believe in once saved, always saved. But I've seen spirit-filled people that think talking in tongues one time, it just did it. The Holy Ghost was not supposed to be reduced to your initial experience. That was supposed to be the beginning. You have to understand the Holy Ghost was an invitation to a relationship where God says, I got more where that came from and you can have as much as you want. 
I said, there's more, there's more for where it came from. I said, the wells of salvation is a deep well. You'll never get to the bottom of it. But we can't just treat the oil. Like once you get it one time, you're done. I heard an elder once say, the Holy Ghost is not a diploma. It's a birth certificate. You didn't graduate when you got it. You started living. And God opened the door to a world that you didn't know was there. I said, there's gifts in the oil. There's fruit in the oil. There's life in the oil. Be seated. When I got the oil, my pastor never had to call. Say, Drew, are you coming to church Sunday? When I got the oil, they didn't have to wonder if I was going to be at prayer meeting. I lived an hour away in Hamill, Louisiana, at Southeastern. But it wasn't an option. I went to Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday night prayer, Wednesday night Bible study, and Friday night youth service. Why? Because I wanted some more of the oil. I wanted some more of the oil. I wanted Jesus to know. I don't want a sample. I want the source. Give me some more. Give me some more. Give me some more. And so I decided I'm not having church without the oil. I'm not having my marriage without the oil. My son's only nine months old, but he's going to grow up knowing there's nothing like the oil. And as soon as he's old enough to get it, I'm going to pray that he would experience the same oil that saved his daddy's life. Come on, son. I don't want my son getting a reduced version of Pentecost. I want him to get exactly what I got. So be seated. So here, I've said everything I've said for the last 32 minutes to get to right here. Second Kings chapter 4. I was sitting Sunday morning and the Holy Ghost started talking to me. I said, God, I've never preached this. I can't. Please no. But I knew I had to be obedient. So I came to 2 Kings 4 and I began to read about this woman whose husband had died. And she told the prophet Elisha, she said, I need you to help me. We read it in her opening text. I want to read it again. She cried. She said, I need you to help me because the creditor is going to take my sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said to her, well, what do you have? Brother Jordan, that you'll come. What do you have in your house? She said, well, all I have, all I have, I got this pot of oil that my husband, who was a prophet, he left for us. We don't have a nice house. We don't have anything, but we got the oil. And so the prophet said, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go and go everywhere you can, and I want you to find some vessels. He said, I want you to find some empty vessels. I want you to go to all your neighbors, knock on the door, say, I need to borrow some vessels. And she said, okay. And when they, she went and got the vessels, she brought her boys in. Now hear me. The prophet spoke to the mother, but the mother challenged the next generation. Go get a vessel. The only thing standing between the next generation being slaves was the oil. Without the oil, those boys would have been slaves to the creditor. But they had some oil. 
And it was the oil that paved the way for liberty. And so the Bible says, she told those sons, go, go get some vessels. And the Bible says, and when they were come and they were, they were shut in, he said, I want you to pour. I want you to pour and fill this vessel. It said, this is what is going to happen. When the vessel gets full, I want you to set it to the side. So she brought all the vessels in. And the moment the vessel was full, it got pushed to the side. And here's what she said. Bring me another vessel. Leave this one in me, Brother Jordan. Bring me another vessel. This was her exact words. Bring me yet a vessel. But her son said, we don't have anything else for the oil to fill. And when there was not another vessel to be filled, the oil stopped flowing. And here is what God spoke to me. He said, Drew, when those vessels were full, they got out of the flow. But as long as there was a little room in the vessel, the oil kept coming. And the oil kept coming. I'm going to build a prayer room. I'm going to start fasting. I'm going to read the word. Because I want the oil. I want the oil. And as long as that vessel had a little room, the oil kept coming. Notice, she was not concerned with the condition of the vessel. She didn't care what color the vessel was. She didn't care what the vessel went through. She was not concerned with the ability of the vessel. She was concerned with the availability of the vessel. Do you have any room? Do you have any room? I want you to stand to your feet. When there were no more vessels with the capacity for more oil, it stopped flowing. Hear me. The issue is not the oil. It's the vessels. And here is what the Lord spoke to me. The amount of oil we receive is in direct proportion to the amount of room we make for it. The Holy Ghost is crying to this room of students, bring me yet a vessel. Is there anybody that can say there's some things I'm going to empty myself of because I want to make room for the oil. I'll get rid of the pride. I'll get rid of the world because God, I want the oil. I want the oil. Over the last 11 years of serving God, and just the last few years that God has allowed me to preach to different groups of young people, I've noticed the one thing that separates the young people that are greatly used of God and those that are not. And I've reduced it to one word that I've found. Hunger. Not what family you come from. Not if your church is big. Not if your pastor's well known. Hunger. Somebody that says... Nobody knows me. Nobody knows my church. But I'm going to go to the prayer room and make room for the oil. I'm going to start fasting and make room for the oil. I'm going to read the word and make room for the oil. Jesus, 
I'm hungry. Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those who get hungry and thirsty for something. Because when you do, you're going to be filled. I've learned Jesus never ignores the hungry. The amount of oil you get is in direct proportion to the amount of room you make for it. You got to get the world out. You got to get Hollywood out. You got to get your pride out. You got to get your past out. And you got to let God know I'm making room. I'm making room because I want the oil. I'm done. I know there's not a lot of room, but I want you to press in close. The musicians can come. The amazing thing about the kingdom is God has designed it in such a way that nobody gets a head start. God even said to the mouth of the, the apostle Paul that in this kingdom, it's not many noble, it's not many wise, Something strong man after the flesh. God uses the people no one thought he would use. But he uses the hungry. Who said, God, I'm going to make room for the oil. I don't want my life to be filled up prematurely with things that don't matter. Because they take the place of the oil. Hear me. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter the family you come from. I was broken. I was undone. I was born out of wedlock. My mom and dad were never married. I've been through so much I don't have the time to tell you. But I learned the oil is greater. So I'm just saying, bring me yet a vessel. Is there a young person that came to TYC and said, I'm not here for anything else but the oil. Lift your hands. The only thing that separated the wise and the foolish were those who had oil. Hear me, young people. Those five foolish virgins tried to get oil from a peer. You can't get oil from your neighbor. You got to get it from the master. I want you to lift your hands all over the room. We're going to take time and repent and empty ourselves. God, I'm sorry that I let anything take the place of the oil. Some of you need to think about the things you've been entertaining and watching and listening to. Is it taking the place of the oil?